some big news to kick off the show. They caught the pig. They caught the pig. They caught the pig. Uh, yeah, this is the pig that uh, we spoke to staff reporter Caroline Williams about last Thursday. A runaway pig terrorising <laughs> motorists in Auckland. Though, I have to say, staff really missed a trick not assigning that story to reporter Katie Ham, in my opinion. I wonder what she would have to say about that. She agrees. Great sport. Yep. That's what we love to hear. So the pig was caught, the piggy fugitive on the run, fell into a trap. There was a trap with food. If I was ever terrorising an Auckland motorway, I'd just put some food out. You'd catch Imogen in no time. What a great story, though. Uh, so on write a screenplay. Anyway, kia ora. This is Newsville. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. There's been a lot of talk of holes these last few days. Fiscal holes, to be precise. So what are they, and should we care about them? Also, would you pick living in Wellington over living in New York City? Wellington's mayor joins us to tell us why our capital is better than the Big Apple. Would you believe we're chatting FIFA once again because the quarterfinals begin this week? And speaking of football, the tale of how an Italian fugitive was discovered all because of his love for the beautiful game. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Emil, we're ticking off the election year bingo card at a rapid pace. Yeah, of course. We've uh, we've had a ministerial scandal. Tick. We had New Zealand First ruling out working with one of the main political parties. Tick. And, of course, the all-time classic reared its head, fiscal holes. Late last week, Winston Peters claimed there was a $20 billion hole in the government's revenue and that moves were afoot to cut Crown spending by 10%. And this all led to what could be one of the greatest quotes ever uttered in our storied House of Parliament. Dina has to be the one who finds some way of repairing the fiscal hole in Nationals' plans. How big is his hole? And do... (laughs) That is not in the public interest, I can assure you. But hey, here's a question. What is a fiscal hole and how are they spotted and are they even real? Vernon Small is a journalist and former advisor for David Parker. He's been writing on this very topic for stuff and he joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora, thank you. Nice to be here. Vernon, when people talk about fiscal holes, what does that mean? What, what does the term mean? Well, it's usually painting your opposition as be as having created some gigantic pothole in the road to the election that they can't explain, they didn't understand, and they couldn't do the maths to, to get right. I guess that's what they've traditionally been. I mean, we've had them for years. Every election, mm. something always gets thrown up as one party analyses the other party's policies um, and finds these kinds of, you know, errors, if you'll excuse the air um, quotation marks. But what we had this week was a little bit different, I think, because... Winston Peters' first claim was suggested that the government's accounts were in some kind of hole, which isn't quite the same as the fiscal holes you get when you know, you're analysing the promises of a political party leading up to an election, because the government's accounts are done by Treasury, 
and they ought to really be that much more accurate. So that's why it was taken more seriously, I guess. The idea of a fiscal hole seems to suggest something that's objectively real, but you seem to suggest it's it's more a way of casting doubt on the credibility of, of your opponent, which, which seems like it, it wouldn't be that helpful for democracy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a two-edged sword, isn't it? Because... When it comes to democracy, you don't want to discourage the kind of um, questioning and challenging of other people's promises. But when you say it's an objective or a subjective thing, that's what we're here for, I guess. Us and the economists and the other commentators is to is to accept that there'll be the, the ebb and flow of political claim and counterclaim and we have to analyse it. Could we fill in these fiscal holes by having something like an independent costing unit that all political parties in government or not could access and it just eliminates the need for Nicola Willis to ask the finance minister how big his hole is? (laughs) That was unfortunate. Um, (laughs) What you're asking is whether we should have an independent unit to analyse the policies of the parties as they run into the election. Mm. So this is outside the government economic process. And absolutely, I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic if we had an independent unit operating, analysing every policy as it came out, they would all be measured against the same yardsticks and the public and the voters would be so much better off. Vernon Small, thank you so much for your time and analysis. Cheers. Wellington versus New York City chat is next, and I promise there's a reason we're pitting the two cities against each other. We've not just randomly decided to start this fight. But of course, we want to know your thoughts. We'll have a poll on Insta. Where would you rather live, Wellington or New York City? I'm making no comment here. Head to our Instagram page, Newsable NZ, to vote. And if you've got some serious feelings on the topic, email them to us, newsable at stuff.co.nz. It's a slightly annoying time to be on social media at the moment because it feels like every single person I know has fled New Zealand for a Euro trip. They've moved to London, ditched us to live across the ditch or chased after the American dream. But Wellington is hoping and indeed paying quite a chunk of money to entice Americans to come here. This is the Escape to Wellington campaign. It's trying to tempt people in the Big Apple in particular who are looking for a better work-life balance to move to our capital. Part of the campaign includes a giant escape button, like the one on a keyboard, installed in Manhattan that people can press and then be matched to live job vacancies. So here to tell us if there's been any interest at all is Wellington Mayor Tori Farno. Welcome to the pod. Kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you going? Good, thank you. First of all, success so far? Have we seen Americans champing at the bit to come to Wellington? Certainly generated like a lot of conversation. And I think many in the States probably wouldn't have considered New Zealand as a destination to go and live, visit or whatever in recent days. So uh, this is just a really great and creative way to just kind of like start the conversation get them thinking about it. I was recently in New York at a a course for mayors. Over half of them were from the US uh, and quite a few from the rest of the world. They were just quite fascinated by New Zealand because the the beauty of our city is that we are a city and we have fantastic buildings, fantastic housing, jobs and events and so forth, but we're also just so close to nature. Mm. And that was just so unusual for them. Um, Just being able to walk from the majestic centre to the beach within under 20 minutes was quite mind-blowing for them. Uh, so 
look, we've got so much to be proud of. Tori, why New York out of interest? Was it was that a targeted decision? New York is kind of the mecca, of course, of, of a lot of cities. It is so busy, so dense. Uh, and incredibly, um, you know, there's a bit of a rat race there, I, I would say. And there's uh, so many people there and it's deeply, deeply exciting. But it's also very intense. So we, we'd kind of thought there's probably a, a lot of people, especially now that we're, we're well out of, out of the way of COVID, that are just looking for a new lifestyle, um, something with a bit more work-life balance, something with a bit more city nature balance. Uh, and Wellington is the perfect place for that. Now, this did cost nearly half a million dollars. So I'm curious, what does success look like from this campaign for you? Success for me, it's creating um, you know much bigger awareness of Wellington City, the capital city, uh, in a place like New York, but also follow-on cities from that. And the other is actually um, getting some people from the States to move here and then at the very least visit. Tori Fano, Mayor of Wellington, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Kia ora. Our favourite football fanatic Skies, Christina Eddy, is about to join us. But just a reminder that if you are enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us as well. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are now well and truly into the round of 16 at the FIFA Women's World Cup. All of the round of 16 games to be played in New Zealand are done and dusted. So what are we looking forward to this week? We're now joined by Sky presenter Christina Eddy to talk us all through it. Kia ora, Christina. Kia ora. Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, being at Eden Park for that massive crowd for Spain, Switzerland, and that goal fest that treated Eden Park was pretty cool. So um, there's plenty more to come, which is exciting. And there was really great support at uh, the Wellington Regional Stadium for that Japan-Norway game. Couldn't believe the numbers. So many people turning out, still wearing all the jerseys of the teams that are playing and a full, full fans. You know, I spoke to um, one lady on the concourse when we played the Philippines and she says, I'm 90 years old and I'm so cold, but this is the only time I'm ever going to be able to see my team play. Um, and I think there's so many stories like that where there are so many people living in New Zealand and their teams are here and this is their one chance to, to see them in action. Christina, one of the big narratives in the lead up to this tournament was like, you know, has Western Europe finally caught up to the US in, in women's football? But now you, you look at the teams that have made it through. We're looking at Nigeria, Jamaica, Morocco, Japan, as we've already talked about, super stuff. It's pretty incredible to see that how women's football is growing around the world, not just in the traditional football powerhouses, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we what we've, what we're seeing is, you know, FIFA took a risk, essentially. They took a risk to expand the tournament with eight more teams to 32 teams. And some people said to them, look, 
that's that's too ambitious. It's happening too fast. You're getting too ahead of yourselves. Sure, the Women's World Cup might be popular, but you know, it's not that popular. Um, and what we're seeing is that those people that said that were wrong. You know, we've got the likes of the USA, Germany, um, yeah, Brazil, Canada, massive powerhouse nations that were expected to do well at this tournament. Um, you could even say the same about Switzerland. You Literally what you're seeing is teams are catching up and then you've got the likes of Jamaica. They had to actually put out a GoFundMe page and they raised $50,000 to get to this World Cup just so they could be here. And now they're in the knockout stages and they're earning pay packets because of FIFA of over like $60,000 each plus the further they go on in the tournament. And that's fantastic because all of that goes one straight back to the players, straight back to the teams, and it's going to continue to grow depth and development for these nations for years to come. And we've got some pretty big games still to come, obviously, and only a handful of them are still being played in New Zealand. What's coming up? I think it's exciting because, you know, we've already had over 1.7 million people through the gates at this Mm. FIFA World Cup. And that was, I mean, most of that was even before the knockout stages even started, which is fantastic. And you haven't missed out, essentially. If you're still wanting to jump on the FIFA Women's World Cup bandwagon and you've got a bit of FOMO, like we said before this World Cup that you would end up having, which I'm sure (laughs) lots of people do, um, you can still get along to a quarterfinal in Wellington or you can get along to a quarterfinal in, uh, at Eden Park in Auckland as well. And there's also a semi-final at Eden Park. And I would expect that, you know, we've been breaking records at these, you know, round of 16 broke the record at Eden Park for matches attended for a football game in New Zealand. And I would say that that semi-final will just top mm. the lot. Christina Reddy, the woman with the best job in the media just now. Uh, <laughs> lovely chatting to you as always. As always, thank you so much, guys. Enjoy it. Remember, you can watch all of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 matches on Sky or stream them on Sky Sport now. And, of course, Stuff has launched a dedicated tournament hub online as well. We're live streaming some matches and keeping you up to date with all of the on- and off-field action and drama as well. So get amongst that if you're not already. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead... The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of football, I am going to combine some football chat now with our other favourite kind of chat, which is brilliant headline chat. Oh, yay! Go on, go on. Sound the klaxon. Uh, Here we go. Open quotation marks. Italian fugitive caught after passion for football betrays his location. Oh, that'll do it, eh? Also, I imagine your passion for Arsenal would also be your downfall if you were ever on the run. Well, it's the way that I want to go down if ever I do go down, if, if my actions catch up with me. But um, It is iconic footy fan behaviour. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let me set the scene for you here. Um, Vincenzo Laporta is the fugitive in question here. Uh, Vincenzo is a man who is on Italy's list of 100 most dangerous fugitives, and I imagine that is quite a list. He is uh, linked to a criminal organisation and he has convictions for tax evasion and fraud. Um He'd been on the run for 11 years. 11? Yeah, good effort, eh? <laughs> Gee whiz. But uh, his downfall was his love for the <laughs> Napoli fo- fo- football team. He was spotted <laughs> celebrating their Italian championship win. Um, 
this was the first time Napoli had, had taken out the title in more than three decades since a great Maradona. And uh, he was snapped celebrating on a balcony in Greece. The authorities finally caught up with him on Friday and he is due to be extradited back, <laughs> back to Italy. Uh, and he will serve a 14-year prison sentence. <laughs> like imagine if Arsenal won the Premier League and you were on the run. You couldn't help yourself. Did, did you, you see some of the video footage when Napoli won the Serie A though? Like, no, it, I didn't. It, was, it was It was wild, was honestly. It? It, was like, it was like Earth had won an intergalactic battle against Mars. You know, it was just it was crazy. On. How did they spot him? Because this guy had been on the run for more than a decade. Yeah. And they found him in a photo? Great question. Journalistic interrogation. I like this. Uh, so the Italian and Greek authorities have been working together to tail him. Um, they've been tracking financial movements of his associates. And it seemed like oh. he had been spotted in Napoli football fans' social media posts. <laughs> So the authorities are on the lookout for him uh, on the day that Napoli won. So like Napoli wins and they're like, right, let's go. They're like, he's going to be out there somewhere. <laughs> oh my face. gosh. Beautiful. So, um, moral of the story. What is the moral of the story? Don't celebrate. If you're on the run, don't don't follow any football, any sport, have any passion or just don't be a fugitive. That's probably, actually, that's the moral of the story. That's newsable for today. <laughs> we should end it there. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you tomorrow. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support.